Welcome to Servant's Heart Chapel. Glad you could make it. This is Pastor Daryl, and I hope that today's episode is a special blessing to you. So, here we go. I guess I won't do a lot of walking around. Just kind of stuck holding down the pages of my Bible. But Lord willing, I'll do the best I can. Praise God. It's good to be together in church. I appreciate the technology, the capability we have to do video teleconferencing. Uh, And I appreciate, you know, that gives not just us allowed us to continue in spite of the restrictions but also allowed uh, friends and family from different parts of the US to participate with us as they do now China and I think I guess Emmett I don't see Emmett from here I see a cat I think um, but uh, China and Emmett I I are with us uh, via uh, FaceTime um, praise the Lord but it's good to be together uh, with you, Tim, and you, Robert, appreciate you guys, and I'm glad we can be together safely, practicing social distancing, sanitizing our hands, we're taking all the precautions that we need, wearing masks when necessary, uh, we're, we're ta- being careful, but it's good to be together. On uh, this beautiful day, albeit a bit windy day, um, grateful for that. There's a lot of people, even now, that say, in order to be saved, you have to have faith plus. Faith plus. Faith plus something else. You can add whatever you want to that. There's some people who say, you have to, in order to be saved, you have to have, you have to believe in Jesus, yes, but you also have to be baptized. And if you're not baptized and you die, you go to hell. There's some people who say you have to be saved, you have to, you have to believe in Jesus, yes, but you also have to be entirely sanctified. And if you're not entirely sanctified too, if you die before that, even if you have believed in Jesus, you go to hell. There's some people who say you have to believe in Jesus plus you have to speak in tongues. And others say you have to believe in Jesus plus you have to follow some kind of ritual, some kind of process. There's others who would just say generally, yes, you have to believe in Jesus plus you have to uh, demonstrate some kind of good works in your life in order to be saved, in order to get to heaven. What makes Christianity different from all the religions in the world? Years ago, many years ago, that very question was discussed at a conference. And some of the participants argue that Christianity is unique in teaching that God became man. But then someone objected saying that other religions teach similar doctrines. What about the resurrection? No, it was argued other faiths believe that the dead rise again. 
The discussion grew heated, and at some point, C.S. Lewis uh, walked into the the uh, room or auditorium, wherever it was. He came in late and sat down and and noticed the the heated tone of the discussion, the debate, and asked, "What's the rumpus about?" When he learned that it was a debate about the uniqueness of Christianity, he immediately commented, Oh, that's easy. It's grace. Grace is what sets us apart from every other religion. And he was right. The very heart of the Gospel is the supreme truth that God accepts us with no conditions. Whatever whatever, when we put our trust in the atoning sacrifice of His incarnate Son. Although we are helpless and we come to Jesus, you know, chained in sin, God in grace forgives us completely. And it's by His infinite grace that we are saved, not by moral character, works of righteousness, commandment keeping, or church going. When we do nothing else but accept God's total pardon, we receive the guarantee of eternal life. It's good news indeed. That's a wonderful gospel, and we have a wonderful Savior. Years ago in Bible college, I, I, uh, one of my professors was a, a man we called Brother Boonseek. Brother Budenseek, him and his wife were missionaries for many years and, and now he was teaching at God's Bible School and he was in well into his 80s. He was an interesting man. He would Every morning I would see him out going for a jog around the campus. And him and his wife would act like high school sweethearts, always holding hands and, and just being together. And I thought, man, I want to be like that guy when I'm an octogenarian. Well, one day in class, Brother Budenseek looked at us and said, Boys, I have studied the Bible for 60 years, and I'm still learning new things. I found that interesting. There is no other book in history, now or ever, that that ever happens. That one little book, you can spend your entire life studying, and it grows with you. It grows with you. And even though I know that intellectually... I still find myself surprised. And I was surprised this week. You know, we're going through Acts, and we, we I preached Acts chapter 14 last week, and so I began this past week, began studying chapter 15, and I expected it to be kind of like the others. Just something, you know, something that happened, and I, I put together a historical context for better understanding. We identify what was said and what principles we could apply to our own lives as Christ followers. 
But what I ended up finding in chapter 15 is one of the most significant chapters in the Bible. Because in chapter 15, we see grace on trial. We see God's grace on trial. And we're going to talk about that. We're also, we see there's a discussion between the relationship of grace, faith, and works. This was the fourth crisis the church had ever experienced. The first crisis was the crisis of selfishness with Ananias and Sapphira. The second crisis happened with with murmuring in the church regarding the, the Hellenistic widows and the treatment of them. The third crisis occurred with simony. I just learned this week what that word was. Simony is purchasing or attempting to purchase ecclesiastical privileges is the is a fancy definition. In basic terms, you're trying to buy salvation, trying to buy a spiritual gift, you're trying to buy uh, your way to heaven. The Bible example of that is Simon, hence the term simony, when he tried to buy the Holy Spirit. And then we have uh, other exa- later in in church history uh, in the Catholic Church uh, with where they were selling uh, they were selling uh, purgatory time where we paid so much and you wouldn't have to spend so much time in purgatory. That's simony. That was a crisis in the church. And the fourth crisis is now, we're talking about now, in chapter 14, where God's grace goes on trial. And the church decides what they believe. Let's set this scene, shall we? It's in Jerusalem. It's it's approximately the year 48 A.D., so the church is at roughly 15 years old. And I think the Echevera family is here. I'm going to try to pause this. So we're in Acts chapter 15 and... We're setting the scene. It's in Jerusalem. It's 48 A.D. The church is roughly 15 years old. And there's questions to be answered. What do we believe as Christians? Charles Spurgeon wrote, It was a time that this question was settled once and for all before the church began to divide because of it. The first question was, can Gentiles be saved? A Gentile is anyone who's not Jewish. We're Gentiles. All of us are Gentiles. And early Christians, most of them were Jewish. At first, all of them were Jewish. And so they they wondered, they didn't think, it didn't even occur to them that God was going to save Gentiles too. Well, God answered that question before we saw that Peter went and preached to the Gentiles, didn't we? 
And, and the Gentiles got saved and the Holy Spirit filled them too, just like it did with the Jewish people. So they realized that question had been answered. But the second question was, must the Gentiles follow, follow Jewish law? Do, do they have to be circumcised? Do they have to, uh, in order to be saved, do they have to follow all the Mosaic law in order to be saved? And so we're going to discuss that today. We're probably not even going to get all the way through chapter 15. There's so much. There's so much here. I'll probably only get part way through it. So let's begin. If you have your Bibles and you'd like to pull up uh, Acts chapter 15, verse 1, or I can just listen to me, I, I just read it to you. Verse 1, some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. Wow. So you have, imagine the situation. You have a bunch of new Christians. And, and they're saved and they're so excited. They love Jesus. They want to follow Him. And you got a bunch of people come down and say, well, you have to follow all these rules too in order to be saved. That would be discouraging, wouldn't it? Like, what? No one told us about that. Verse 2, But after Paul and Barnabas engaged them in serious argument and debate, the church arranged for Paul and Barnabas and some others of them to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem concerning this controversy. So Paul and Barnabas argued that. They had seen Gentiles get saved. They're like, what are you talking about? They don't have to follow Mosaic law. God accepted them as they were. And so they decided to go to Jerusalem and meet together and decide once and for all what, what we believe as Christians. Verse 3. When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, explaining in detail the conversation of the Gentiles, and they created great joy among all the brothers. There was great joy. People were getting saved, and there was wonderful joy because of that. I posted, uh, I about tweeted, I don't know if, if you're on Twitter, I do have a, a Twitter, Twitter feed. And I tweeted a video, and, and I also I, I posted on our church our church uh, private group the video um, of, a, of a tribe in Papua New Guinea who heard the gospel, and they believed. And the joy that erupted from that tribe, normally they weren't very emotional people. But they began to cheer and to yell. And I saw one guy pick up his friend and start swinging him around out of sheer joy. They were saved. They were so excited. And it, I, hope, I hope you felt that when you got saved. I know I did. That wonderful peace that I've been forgiven. My sins, that guilt, it was all gone. But over time, it tends to dissipate. So I want to just pause right now and talking about what's going on in Acts and talk about that, that leaking away of the joy in our hearts. Jesus actually talked about it 
in Revelation, I'm going to take a segue real quick. Hang on one second. Revelation 3.14 Chapter 3, verse 14 through 20 Where Jesus is talking See this church in Laodicea Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator of God's creation. Yes, Jesus, right? Amen. I know your works, Jesus said, and you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am going to vomit you out of my mouth because you say, I am rich and become wealthy and need nothing and you don't know that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, poor and blind and naked, I advise you to buy from me gold, refine the fire, so that you may be rich, white clothes, that you may be dressed in your shameful nakedness and not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline... So be committed and repent. Listen, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him and he with me. See, we have a tendency over time to forget our first love, to forget that moment and start be distracted by the things of this world, to think I am rich, I have everything I need, I don't need Jesus. And and we might not say that might not say it. But our life, that's what our life says. You say, Pastor Daryl, I would never say I don't need Jesus. But you live like that. You live like you don't need Jesus. You're not dependent upon Him. You, you act like you have it all figured out. Even though inside you're lost and you're hurt. And Jesus is saying, come back. You know, this... this we're often this verse where it says, Listen, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and have dinner with him and he with me. We often talk about that to sinners. Someone who's never known Jesus. But Jesus was saying this to Christians. It's, I think it's okay, perfectly okay, to share that because Jesus is eager to, 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 to rescue uh, a sinner, but he's also eager to reestablish a relationship with his follower. And maybe you felt cold over time. He, Jesus, is ready and willing to reignite his relationship with you. And to have that joy in your heart once again that you once had and you wish you had again, you can have that again. Praise the Lord. Going back to Acts chapter 15, beginning with verse 4. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the truth, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. Verse 5. But some of the believers from the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, 
it is necessary to circumcise them and command them to keep the law of Moses. So the Pharisees were, were saying, well, you got, you got to keep the law of Moses in order to be saved. It was, it was based on works. Yeah, you'd be saved, plus you have to do works. Remember I was saying at the beginning of the sermon, there's a lot of people that believe in order to be saved, yes, you have to believe in Jesus and put your faith in Him, but you also do other stuff. You have, to, you have to do good works. You have to follow some kind of ritual. You have to be baptized. You have to be sanctified. All these other things in order to be saved. And the reality is, you don't. But they were saying you do. Now let's be charitable to these people. These people that were giving the, the new Christians a hard time. Let's go easy on them, shall we? Because they spent their whole life believing one thing. They followed Mosaic Law. Before Jesus died for us, God expected the Jewish people to follow Mosaic law. Because everything, all the ceremony, all the symbolism, that was pointing to Jesus. And it was very important not to forget it. And so they grew up being trained that way. And so, can you imagine how hard it would be to shift your mind? I've had, I've had some people who were, were former Catholics who, who would tell me, uh, pardon me, Pastor Darrell, I'm sorry, you know, I have to cross myself when, when I pray because I'm so used to that. I said, that's fine. You do whatever you feel you need to do. Let the Lord lead you. It takes a while for our, our minds to shift, and it took them a while. But the problem was, while they were trying to figure things out, they were giving some beta Christians a hard time. And we don't do that. We don't give beta Christians a hard time. So here we are in the Jerusalem Council. And the the uh, apostles and elders assembled. In verse 6, the apostles and the elders assembled to consider this matter. After... There had been much debate. Here we have Peter standing up to give his defense. And Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice. Notice he said in the early to the old days, a long time ago, God already made a decision. What was that decision? He said, God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. He said, God already decided a long time ago that He would save the Gentile people. Verse 8, And God who knows the heart... I love this, by the way. Peter said, God who knows the heart. He called God the heart knower. There's this Christmas story uh, called Jingle All the Way. This little boy, at the end of the movie, sees his dad in, in his hero's costume, doesn't recognize his dad, and his dad calls out his name, and the boy is shocked. He knows my name. He's shocked that his, his hero knows his name. I want to tell you something today. There's someone greater than any human hero real or fiction who knows your name 
and he not just knows doesn't just know your name he knows how many hairs are on your head he knows every thought you've had he knows your heart he knows every secret thought every disappointment every tear every failure every aspiration every hope every dream God knows you how wonderful is that Peter said, God the heart knower testified, God witnessed to them by giving the Holy Spirit, just as he did that. God knew those Gentile people, and he witnessed that he was saving them, he was blessing them by giving them the Holy Spirit too, just like he did us, Peter said. Verse 9 he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. This is two powerful truths in this one verse. First off, God made no distinction. God doesn't give special treatment, nor does He show prejudice. God is completely impartial. doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are. doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman. God loves you and disciplines you and leads you, tries to lead you in the right direction the same as everybody else. And made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by what? How did he cleanse their hearts? By faith. You know what faith is? Faith is trust. We trust in each other. That's faith. And we trust God. That's faith. And so they believed in God, believed Jesus Christ, and their hearts were cleansed. Verse 10. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? He was. Peter was saying... Why are you putting responsibilities and expectations on other people that we haven't even successfully accomplished? Verse 11, on the contrary, we believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in the same way they are. Peter was saying it's not what we do to follow Mosaic law that saves us. We are saved by grace. I read this verse for today, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for you are saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. We're saved. You know what it means to be, we talk about, are you saved? And we say, I got saved, or God saved me, or Jesus saved me, or we ask each other, tell me, Tell me about how you got saved. Tell me how God saved you. Do we really know what that means? To be saved is to be, just a general definition of the word, is to be rescued from some kind of danger to a situation of safety or condition of safety. So you're in danger and you're rescued from that danger And you're and you're and you're 
brought to a condition of safety. I had one high school friend who, who drowned in a river. There was a flash flood and he underestimated the current speed and it swept him away and he drowned. The moment he went into the water, he was in a condition of danger. If someone had been able to rescue him, they would save him, to pull him out of that water and bring him into a condition of safety. That's what it means to be saved. So we're saying the idea is we were all in danger at some point or are still in danger until at which point Jesus saves us through his grace by faith. Now what danger are we in? What is the state of a sinner? A sinner is blind to spiritual truth, doesn't know spiritual truth. A sinner is hopelessly selfish, only thinks about themselves. What benefit is it to them? How are you going to benefit me? How are you going to help me? A sinner is incapable of any lasting joy. They always try to find joy, some party, some event, some activity, some trip, buying new things, they, but they, the joy from those things never lasts. The sinner is condemned to hell. Did you know that? And the sentence could be carried out at any moment. At any time. None of us are promised tomorrow. We, this could be our last day on earth right now. The sinner is chained to sin. You can't escape sin. Maybe there's a sin in your life and, and you hate yourself for it. And you can't stop doing it. A sinner is a slave to the devil following his will, his wishes. A sinner is an enemy of God, works against God. And maybe you ask, how do I know if I'm a sinner? Well, in 1 John chapter 3, it says, whoever lives a life of sin is of the devil and has not known God. Whoever lives a life of sin is of the devil and has not known God. Did you know there's a lot of people who, who spend their lives going to church? Jesus said there's people who will come to him and say, well, I did this in your name and I did that in your name. Works. They did all works. But they never trusted Jesus. But they ne and they continued in a life of sin and they never knew God and Jesus is going to tell them, depart from me, I have never known you. That's a state from which we're saved. That's a state of lostness, the state of being a sinner. And Jesus rescues us and it says, saved through the grace of the Lord. You know what grace is? Grace is a helping hand. We can't do it ourselves. God gives us grace. Let's say Marcos accidentally falls in a hole, a deep hole. He can't get out. And I see you. And I reach down for you to grab my hand so I can pull you out. That's grace. You can't get out of the hole yourself. I give you a helping hand to help you out of the hole. 
That's grace. We can't save ourselves. God gives us a helping hand to get out of the pit that we're in. Saved by faith through the grace of Jesus Christ. That is what we have today. And we're going to talk more about this next week. I only got halfway through this chapter. There's a lot more wonderful truth. Saved. I didn't have to earn my way to heaven. I didn't have to. I just had to go to Jesus and ask forgiveness and follow Him. Praise the Lord. Let's stand. Thank you for joining us today. If you liked what you heard, you're welcome to give us a rating, a review on Apple iTunes. If you have any questions, need anything, uh, you're welcome to email us at servantsheartchapel at gmail.com. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can find our website at servantsheartchapel.org. Thank you so much and have a blessed day.